I can certainly say I don't have a clue, but I can make some guesses. If you were to predict the domain or aspect of social life where we might observe the most significant positive societal and or psychological change in response to the pandemic, what would it be? These are terrible questions, by the way. Welcome back to the World After COVID mini-series of the On Wisdom podcast with Igor Grossman and Charles Cassidy. Over the next 20 minutes, you'll be hearing insights and forecasts from some of the world's leading thinkers on what our post-pandemic world may look like for good and for bad, and what kinds of wisdom may best help us navigate this new world. Igor, welcome back. How's things? Fantastic. Still in the pandemic. Still well, happening. I'm still in a cupboard. So You're yeah. still in a cupboard. Oh, that's that's yeah. the way it is. That's right. It's best I'm, now I'm still with my get. dog. The dog is still with us. It's not in Michigan. It's still stuck on this side of the border, which I'm really grateful. I'm glad the border is still closed. And also dogs, uh, I was just talking to Amy about this, dogs are good, especially if you live alone and you can't hug things. Having a big dog, you can hug a dog, right? That's allowed. You can That's hug fine. a dog. You yeah. can always, I mean, the dogs don't like it when you hug them, Do they actually. Not? I no, no, I mean, they can tolerate it. They will, they will put up with a lot of shit that you do. Yeah. Uh, but they don't really like hugging. Okay, that's good to know. Um, <laughs> you know a lot about dogs. Sounds like a splinter podcast. Maybe you could get someone you know to come on as a guest. Tell us a little bit more about I, dogs. I'm working on it. I'm working yeah, on it. You work on it. Yeah. All right. All right. So change of pace. We are now Change looking, of pace. We're looking, this is kind of interesting. We're looking at good things about the pandemic today. It's a short episode, five minutes. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Um, That's right. Positive consequences. We ended up on such a depressing note yeah, last time. We had to... We had to start and spice things but, up. But, but it's also like, let, let's preface this by saying that that's not something that a lot of people are thinking about. Now we're thinking ahead, the year, the new year that we are in right now. And so far, when we look back, it all seems kind of negative. And the pandemic itself is viewed as this traumatic experience that it has definitely been. But one thing that is really interesting is that it provides an opportunity for all of us to rethink and potentially change things. And so in this next few episodes, we want to focus on that, on the positive. Yeah, and there are some, uh, even though you asked these um, experts. I explicitly asked explicitly, them, yes, They didn't just like to volunteer positive consequences, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you kind of want to be balanced, too. That's true. That's true. All right. So let's hear what we've got. I'm, I'm excited to see what you've you've pulled out of the... Uh, the Sounds interview. good. This time I'm starting. So I expect, and perhaps more so hope, that this picture will motivate us to work towards understanding why this pandemic hit certain groups harder than others. And... As a result, uh, it will motivate us to pick up a stronger fight uh, against the unfair distribution of resources and rights, not just where we live, uh, but much more globally. Mm. Okay. I guess this is positive. I mean, it's positive, but it's from starting from quite a low bar. Anyway, we'll get back into that. Who are we listening to? This is Aisha Uskul. And Aisha is a professor of social psychology at the University of Kent in the UK. Okay. Um, yeah, I kind of I had a mixed reaction to that. What was it, What's appealing to you? <laughs> Why is it a mixed reaction? Well, because, you know, this is a positive consequence. And right. essentially what she's saying is like, 
well, what's positive is that we'll be motivated to deal with something that's really terrible. So this this is uh, from mid-July, and uh, this is around the time when uh, there were protests and uh, right after the death, that started after the death of George Floyd in, in the United right, States, right, yeah. and then continued uh, not only in the US, but also in Canada and uh, in the UK. And so I think a lot of folks who responded to questions about what will be positive, there was some hope that uh, this will instigate some change. And I do view it as a positive thing, because like, if you think about like, when can you change things for the better, mm. it has to be a volatile period, because if everything is set, mm. it's not really an opportunity for change, mm-hmm. right? If it's all status quo, if you just want to maintain what you have, you often don't look for how can you make it better for those people who don't have that much or who don't have anything. And I think uh, that's exactly what Aisha is talking about. Well, this is uh, yeah. the idea of being able to introduce uh, more positive elements to the society. And that, that, that I suppose it, it's when you have a system that is ticking along, right. it's sort of better the devil you know. Like, it, it's, it's not perfect, but it seems to be trucking along. So let's just stick with it. But if it's sort of exploded then you're going to have to put something new in place. So there's, there's the window where you could say, well, if yeah. we're rethinking things, how about dealing with some of these things? Yeah, well, I think a lot of people mentioned the opportunity to, and by a lot, I don't mean that many, but I do mean that this was one of the most frequently mentioned categories, period, mm-hmm. that there is an opportunity for political or structural change in the society. It's interesting because I remember seeing the protests and right. supporting the protests, but also panicking about the pandemic <laughs> consequences of large people gathering together. But uh, I, yes. remember, I remember a lot of people saying, yeah, that's true, but this, this opportunity has to be seized because people will not consider large-scale structural change when we have stability. That's right. But there is one more thing that I want to point out is that what's really interesting about this, and uh, the listeners can also see that if they would go to the analytics uh, for the world after COVID.info and then uh, to follow the uh, report for how it unfolded over time, but which themes were mentioned more often over time. It's like in July it picked, and then this category became less and less sort of important for people. They were still mentioning it, but much less frequently. And instead of that, they started mentioning sort of more uh, pro-social categories, cooperation, political cooperation Mm. around the time of the US election. Interesting. So do do you think that means that it's, again, it's an example of just what's on people's mind, or do you think that means a a window of opportunity has passed? How do you interpret that? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, I think think to some extent it reflects what's on people's minds. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, like there's a, uh, this is a classic bias in psychology, where you know the the forecasting bias is go, goes that way that you predict that you'll feel like X if you feel sure. like X in the moment, and so in a similar way you predict that the events that will be affected the most are the events of the present or that are on your mind in the present. It's funny because you'd have thought with such a great example of massive flux, people would be beginning to twig to the fact that it's very unlikely that they'll know what's going on a few months yeah no for sure and i mean i also ask people explicitly about forecasts years Mm. from now 
Mm. Uh, so what will be the positive consequences years up two or three years after the pandemic is over? But nevertheless, I mean, if there is a volatility, as you just said, like and so so much uncertainty, um, what else should you be focusing on if not things that are on your mind? Yeah, makes sense. All right, what else have you got for us? If I had to guess in which area we might get movement, I would say not inequality. Uh, I think inequality is a tough nut to crack, and I'm not sure we're prepared to deal with it. On the other hand, I think there's a chance that we'll think more seriously about how we care about the frail elderly and that we will force governments to enact legislation and think about put more, putting more funding uh, into these contexts in order to, to prevent what should have been a totally foreseeable consequence in terms of the effects of COVID-19 and long-term care homes. This is probably going further than you want me to go at this point, but, but I think we shouldn't take for granted that, of course, older people are going to die from this because the statistics are hard to come by, um, but if you look at some statistics that the CT, CDC has um, put out recently, um, it shows that the incidence of COVID-19 among 60 to 79-year-olds is actually quite a bit lower than it is among 40 to 49-year-olds and 50 to 60-year-olds. That, that's kind of in, <laughs> that, that's quite eye-opening. Who are we listening to? This is my... Uh, former colleague, he unfortunately retired several years ago, and a legend in social psychology, Michael Ross, All right. who actually has done research on uh, forecasting biases, uh, <laughs> even the, uh, uh, I- this illusion that uh, you can plan ahead and uh, you always plan more than you actually do, called the planning fallacy. So he's one of the people who uh, substantially contributed to that research. He, he had, his interview actually opens with like a massive disclaimer that I, <laughs> around his forecasts. It was quite funny. It's like, to be honest, I can make some forecasts, but very low confidence. But if you're interested, here's some ideas. Yeah. That's right. He was the first person I interviewed. Uh, ah, okay. He was uh, in many ways a guinea pig. Yeah, And Mike is certainly an interesting character. So we're talking about middle of June. Right. What's really fascinating about this is that you say, now look, this should have been preventable in the first place. And uh, I think social inequality, again, like he brings it up around the time of the protests and uh, improvement of care homes for elderly. And this was around the time when there were huge outbreaks of COVID-19 in uh, uh, elderly care homes in Ontario and in Quebec. And he at mm. that time was in uh, Ontario. Mm. And so he then says, like, well, you know, like, there's not that much you can do about the inequality. That one is really difficult. Mm. Uh, but we can certainly improve the situation in the long-term care homes. And uh, again, he brings in the government, that you need the government to reenact the legislations, which is important, I think, to consider here. He doesn't say that people can somehow change things. Yeah, it's the structural question again, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And it's interesting uh, why this is quite a nice pair, because the the previous quote focuses on inequality. And then he, in the sort of slight, just a little bit before this quote, he says, he mentions inequality as well, and then just says, but... I don't think you're going to see much change there. But then then characterizes this care for elders as something more manageable that you could see change on. 
That's right. I mean, like, what would the government focus on, at least in Ontario? And again, it's probably also specific to different countries. And what will they be able to fix relatively easily? Well, we'll see what will happen, right? Absolutely. Do you think it will change? Do you think it will be better for uh, older people? I, I, I do think that they're going to need to introduce some sort of policies around, I don't know, like, um, it just, it's just been terrible. So particularly in the UK, like huge numbers of, from what, you know, from what I recall, huge, um, disproportionate numbers of people dying in care homes. Um, and it does seem like something that could have been thought through and probably managed. I mean, it's like, it's a closed system. Well, it's not a closed system, but it's a, it's a porous right. system, but it's a, yeah. um, relatively localized system that you'd have thought you could manage that yes, more yes. effectively so and old people vote so i would have thought probably exactly. it would be in lots of people's interest and like in lots of different areas to put some uh, structural change in there exactly well we'll see i mean here in ontario the situation was such that uh, when the uh, provincial government came in they slashed uh, controls that were supposed to be due uh, rigorous controls for long-term care homes. Uh, okay. and they did not do due diligence uh, checking in on the sanitation and other right. type of processes that are critical for the pandemic. Yeah. And of course, who knew? I mean, maybe it's just they thought this is where we can save money. Who cares? But then it turns out that it was important. It's again, it's a bit of a funny positive. I mean, again, this is the positive episode. <laughs> um, That's right. And it's funny that, uh, again, the, the positive that's been presented is that something bad, hopefully, can now be fixed. Right. Well, maybe you can give us some better. Uh, yeah, I see what I got up my sleeve. Right. Let's see. That's right. Um, right. I am going to hit you with something. Sure. Most of us are quarantining in place with perhaps with a, a spouse, perhaps with a friend, with our children. So you're getting some of that face-to-face -face contact. But what we're missing is our contact with these other people. And I think we're discovering that those contacts are also important um, for our lives. Certainly close relationships are important, and those of us who study them, you know, sometimes overemphasize the importance of close relationships. But other connections we have are also important. Our connections with our coworkers, our associates, person in your poker group or your reading group, the people you see at the health club, uh, even maybe the person who cuts your hair. And we're missing those kind of connections. And I think that what this pandemic is really teaching us is just how important those connections really are. Okay. Uh, I like that quote okay. for a number of reasons. Yeah. Um, oh, tell me. So we, do you want to tell us who it is? And then we can talk about what sure. I like about yeah, it. This is Harry Rice is a professor of psychology, social psychologist, one of the preeminent researchers on relationships. What a surprise <laughs> uh, that you would talk about relationships. But he is indeed one of the superstars and uh, made fundamental contributions to the study, how people get along and do not get along with each other, couples and so on. And this was done on uh, June 19th, so also fairly early. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the reason this appeals to me is because, like, there's lots of people talking about family relationships, close relationships, right. not being able to see your friends, all those sort of super hardcore close uh, bonds yeah. that we have. And then this guy is also someone who 
has done a lot of research on close relationships, but here he's kind of talking mm-hmm. about everything else. Like, and I feel that a lot myself that yes, I miss seeing my good friends and my family, but I also just like miss being able to like bump into people like at the bus stop and say hello and not have them run away. Um, and even <laughs> they like, do not run away. <laughs> normally they would anyway, to be honest. but, um, even like in the supermarket, if someone drops something, I might go and pick it up for them, but I won't now. I'll just like, I'll, I'll, I'll no just way. run away now. Just run away. Everyone's just, everyone's running away from everyone. So yes, I like the fact that he was pointing out that yes, yeah. one component of our social life are the close relationships, but there are all these other yeah. kind of finer thread elements which we don't really think about, but they kind of weave together to make quite an important part of our, you know, our social experience. So I liked the That's fact right. that, that he was flagging that up. Yeah, I like that too. And then I, it definitely resonates with me, missing my colleagues, missing sort of the, the networks that go beyond your closer circle of family. Uh, members that you may be spending time because you have to be extraordinarily selective now too with all i mean the thing is also we have all the zoom calls at least i do and uh, certainly my colleagues are sharing this type of sentiment where you are in meetings and meetings and meetings but it doesn't feel the same way mm. and so then because it's, it feels like an obligation it doesn't feel like you're doing it because you want to catch up with this person yeah i suppose the experience of a work meeting is essentially the same physical experience now as the one that we're doing like game night through or family catch-up it's literally the same thing just staring at a screen um, that's right I, th- I guess do you think he's referring to i guess he is kind of talking about the second tier of people like the colleagues etc the poker game friends uh, i was kind of probably un- unfairly extending it to like a third tier of people just like people you don't even know just like small little connections that you you get in a day you know you see lots of people and you have lots of interesting surprise no, no, connections I, th- I think you're probably into something because there is some a value of small talk and uh, mm. be able to just say a few words if you like coffee to your barista or if you like tea yeah. to a tea maker or whatever uh, over the counter person or again like somebody else in the fitness club if you're yeah. into those type of things yeah and you can't do that anymore i mean you don't even have fitness clubs anymore who knows if we'll have those my life back. has irrevocably been changed with no fitness clubs, Igor. You know how I love fitness clubs. I'm always there down the gym, I, I pumping did, iron. I didn't know, but you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I used to play volleyball for the Japan national team as well. There's a lot you don't know about me. Oh, I see. I see. I see. <laughs> well, no, I well, have never... great. I've, I'll I've, send you some uh, yeah. uh, hit classes in this case, because it's right. like it's totally up your alley. Yeah, it sounds good. All right, I'm going to share another quote. Uh, yes, please. I see potential for positive changes in response to the pandemic at both individual and societal levels. Uh, At the individual level, much of our life is doing what we did yesterday or the day before. And one of the things the pandemic has done is to really shake up our patterns of work, social interaction, and uh, leisure. Often, these are painful and difficult changes, but out of this chaos and this uh, alteration in our habitual modes of uh, existence in, in these different domains, I think there are opportunities for really reevaluating 
what gives us joy and meaning in our lives. And if we are able to take stock uh, in what we've found has changed, it's actually led to greater sense of meaning and joy. Uh, I think there's opportunity for gain at the individual level. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, again, I, I'm kind of, I'm coming at this one from a slightly different perspective, but maybe tell us who it is mm-hmm. and then we can get into it. Sounds good. So this is James Gross, uh, who is a professor of psychology at Stanford University in California. And he is uh, probably one of the most well-known emotion researchers, one of the two or three most well-known emotion researchers today, uh, in particular for his research on emotion regulation, how people regulate the emotions, so what are the processes that are involved there. And this was from early September. Okay, so a little bit more recent. Um, so, yes. yeah, and it's sort of slightly concerning that you say that this is, this is like one of the top people in the world in this regard, because I pulled this up because I slightly disagreed with it. <laughs> So, well, um, and that's fine. So yeah. what, do you, what, what do you disagree with? Well, I just kind of, um, I guess he was sort of suggesting, potentially, that um, a lot of the, the rushing around that we do, a lot of people have kind of said this, a lot of the rushing around you do, is that really helpful? Mm-hmm. You know, um, maybe we can rethink our habits, we can focus on sort of the people we care about more or the things we care about. Right, right. And yeah. It, it just kind of came as a contrast to what I liked about the previous quote, which was like, hey, don't forget like that non-central stuff. That's important too. And it's a theme that's come up quite a bit in a, in a few of the interviews, people saying, you know, we can reconsider and focus on what's important. And I guess right. I just kind of wanted to put a little flag up to say those non-central things are also important. And also a lot of the way we do things, yeah, it does merit an, a second look, but we might throw out the baby with the bathwater if we, there is already wisdom in some of the ways we do some of the things that we do. And I, I thought there seemed to be this big thrust in a lot of the interviews about, you know, we can change everything. Let's just change everything. I was like, well, well, okay. But like, maybe they push a little bit against that though. Yeah. How about this? Uh, I'll say that when people talk about the things to change, they focus on the big picture. They focus on this kind of the, what are the main things that have been bugging us that we just took for granted? They were not talking about the pleasant conversation with your barista. They were not talking (laughs) about your uh, body at the gym. Those are not things that bug you. Mm. Maybe they'll bug your (laughs) partner because you chat with somebody else. It does happen. Uh, Who knows? But the point is that uh, I don't see those as idiosyncratic. I think what James is talking about is this kind of big picture meaning. And uh, that doesn't mean that you have to reevaluate how you deal with your routines in life. Routines are absolutely important. But maybe there's an opportunity to reevaluate. We can really shake up our patterns of work, social interaction, and leisure. Well, let's talk about the gym. I mean, your favorite topic. (laughs) I remember my colleague, my late uh, Mark Zana, used to play hockey. I loved it. Uh, He loved hockey. And he would, you know, he was, and he would complain about it. He would say, I have to go drive to the hockey and then I have to change. Mm. I have to mm. put this stuff. And then I have to, and then I play for half an hour and then I have to go back and change <laughs> and shower. It takes altogether two and a half hours for half an hour joy. Mm. Mm. And uh, now, of course, you can't do any hockey indoors. I mean, like, 
unless you're super rich, probably like Drake or something like that. <laughs> but uh, most of us probably don't have a stadium inside. But if it's not hockey, if it's something like a regular class, uh, with all these online classes, you can suddenly do things that before that you would not even have considered. And then you save time and maybe um, you can do it where otherwise you wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, I'm not saying that this will continue. And that's a big question if this kind of reevaluation of habits mm. will sustain itself after the pandemic is over. But there is at least an opportunity to ask yourself, hmm, do I need to take it for granted? And that doesn't mean that you like, I mean, I don't think uh, talking to your barista or talking to a random stranger in the supermarket mm-hmm. uh, is in that category. You know what I mean? I, I do. But I guess, say, for example, you decide, hey, it's great. I don't have to, because he's talking about patterns of work. It's wonderful. I can work remotely. Sure. Great. Fantastic. I can stay at home, click, 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 all day long. Don't have to do that bloody commute. But on the commute, which we're trying to, we're all so keen yeah. to get rid of, there are aspects which are we'd be surprised that might they're beneficial in some way that's when you have those loose connections and those rubbing up against other people so in our haste to sort of redesign our lives we might inadvertently miss some of those other other serendipitous pieces i agree i I think i think that could happen but i mean hey maybe it will not happen on this horrible two-hour long commute in the car where you're stuck by yourself and listen to these two weirdos talking about wisdom and whatever uh, <laughs> on your favorite podcast. That's right. um, and instead of that, uh, you could ask yourself, can I stay that day at home? And maybe the serendipitous journey I will take on that day will lead me to more pleasurable activities and more serendipitous interactions with other mm-hmm. people. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, fair. I think, like, yeah, I think uh, those two things are not necessarily mm. in opposite to each other. Yeah. We just have to be careful when we redesign yeah. our lives. I think I agree with you on that. I think, uh, I, I see, I, I think your general sentiment is that um, we, we cannot change everything and control everything. Mm. And we have to sometimes accept the uncertainty and the serendipity that the life brings to us. Yeah. And there I agree with you. I think it's a balance between this kind of what psychologists sometimes talk about when they talk about primary control where you change the environment and your life and the mm. secondary control where you adjust to what you encounter right. and what life brings to you. It's a tricky balance and you need both. That's right. That isn't that, that primary secondary. I've never heard that those terms before. That sounds a bit like the Alcoholics Anonymous, co- you know, that that phrase about choosing the difference, the wisdom to know the difference. You know, like uh, courage to change the things you can. There's something to change the things you can't, and the wisdom. To right. Know the I difference. mean, I think it's an old. Yeah, that that is an old. It's quote. an old prayer. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. Sounds like a sort of slightly more poetic way of getting at the same thing. I think it is. I mm. think it is. But it's nothing new about it. Psychologists talk about it nowadays, but I think philosophers probably talked about it for thousands of years. Nice. If you're thinking of changing your podcast, don't. This, you're listening to the right podcast. You don't, you don't need any courage to change. To do. Old wisdom for the future. You listen to stuff that is 2,000 years old, dear listeners. <laughs> well, there you go. That, that We've done some positives. That's been exciting. We've got more positives to come next time. <laughs>
That's right. We try to be even more positive. Yeah, rampant. we try. Yeah, we can't really promise it because what can you promise in this current pandemic time, right? Huge uncertainty. Get used to it. Yeah, embrace it. And that's it for today's episode of the World After COVID mini series. Thank you to our listeners. Igor, big question. If people want to know more about the project, where do they go? They can go to the www.worldaftercovid.info. Please stay well and safe. Goodbye.